Yeah. Okay. You, are you ready to start? I'm ready. Everyone sign. Yes. Good. On we go. You're listening to the Tom Bernard Podcast with Catherine Brandt. I met the missus at paintball. Shot her in the neck. Alex Brandt Bernard. Andy Brandt Bernard. Are you my daddy? Tony Lee. What's the matter with you people? I was joking. <laughs> and Sean Bernard. Look at that boyish face. I'm going to fucking lose my mind. Joey Coco Diaz, should mention also Dan Rasmussen back with us. Mike's not here. Rick Bronson, the eponymous Rick Bronson's House of Comedy. You just call me a hippopotamus? A hippopotamus. <laughs> the many people even know what the hell the word eponymous means. I suppose I, that's probably true. I don't know what the hell. I haven't used it. I heard it used in quite some time, but I'm impressed with the vernacular. Nicely done. Uh, you know, I didn't graduate from high school. I had to learn, go to the library. Honestly, you, find, you don't need a high school diploma. You just need, you know, read. Read once in a while, you find a few things. Well, yeah, you talk about that question. It's fundamental. It's fundamental. <laughs> Andy's with us today. Sean's with us today, of course. It's a guy Friday. Uh, it was funny because Catherine was upstairs and she said, do you want me to come on for about a half hour? I said, do you want to hear fuck about 500 times? She, she has no problem with that, by the way. It's, it's not That's not the issue. But she said, because she was watching a bunch of, uh, I'm talking to Joey now, uh, a bunch of your uh uh, stuff online, listening to bits. Uh, was it the Testicle Chronicles? Testicle Testaments. Testaments, testaments, <laughs> testaments. There it is, Testicle Testaments. She's listening. She goes, he's worse than you are. Oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> please. He goes, oh, please. Oh, please. Earlier this morning, we're talking to Joey on uh, on the KQ Morning Show, and a, a story comes up about when uh, Joey was a bartender. Well, so if you wouldn't mind telling because remember, I, I told you I wanted to tell you a story. Right, right, right. No, uh, I got a job in 85. Well, I got a job in a, run, a lumber yard in high school, and the kid who asked me if I wanted the job brought me down. He goes, I want you to meet everybody and see if it's okay. And as they go, he hired you. He goes, come on, let's go for a walk. And he goes, listen, don't forget to steal. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? Because everybody here steals, and if you don't steal, we're going to get caught. So everybody's got to steal. Everybody's got a scam here. And, I mean, there was a guy that had worked for Rich Werderman, was his name, uh, for 30 years, and he stole. It was yeah. very. It was blatant. Everybody stole. It's unbelievable. So if you didn't steal, he would say people will find out. They'll know that something's off. And then I got a job yeah. at the Sheridan Center on 52nd and 7th, which is still there in Manhattan. They just redid it. And it was a union place. And then we walked in there. The guy's like, listen, here we steal. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, "You got they had a storage thing. That didn't have a bottle in there. The employees. Which I don't know how they made a living. They had three bars in those days. I remember like being in New York, you know, coked up. Your jaw's going from side to side. You're like, get thirsty. I'm thirsty. What do you want to do? Let's go over to the Sheridan. I'll get the keys to the storage closet. That's how easy it was. Wow. Everybody was stealing. And you feel bad for stealing, but fuck it. You know what I'm saying? They wouldn't hire you. No, they wouldn't hire you. So it happens to me. In uh, 1977, I get hired by Capitol Records, right? The record rep. So I fly out to the tower. You know the tower out right, there. Right. On Vine Fantastic. There. On, right on Vine there, exactly. Looks it's supposed to look like a stack of records, but it doesn't. You know, it's supposed yeah, it looks to. like a poorly designed spaceship. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it looks like. So I'm meeting with the guy, uh, and the guy's from Philadelphia. He's got a voice like this. He kind of talks like this. You know those guys from Philly that yeah. talk a really high voice like this? So, okay, well, Tommy, here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to hire you. And uh, we'll give you a car, give you air travel card, and uh, you got to fucking steal. I said, what? He goes, you got to fucking steal from the company. I said, I don't want to steal from the company. He goes, then you can't fucking work here. I said, well, what are you talking about? I, I don't want to steal. And this is a true story, by the way, what I did with it. He said, it's just a matter of fact, you got to steal $100,000 a year. I said, honest to God. He goes, let me tell you a fucking story, all right? I got a house in Beverly Hills. I got another house in Palm Springs. I got two Ferraris and a Rolls Royce, and I make one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. <laughs> oh, okay. I guess I kind of caught on now. I, yeah, one hundred fifty grand. You got uh, about oh, fifteen million dollars worth of merchandise, making one hundred fifty grand a year. So I took the job with Capital Records, and I what I would do is take the money and then donate it to charity because I said I didn't want to take the money at all, right? 
So finally one day we're I'm sitting around and, and Bruce, this guy's name was Bruce. He calls me because hey Tommy, I got a question for you. I said yeah. He goes, this guy named Roger at blah 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 radio station I called out here. He told me that uh, you told him to go fuck himself. Is that true? I said yeah, it's true. And he goes, okay, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> <laughs> He just wanted to make sure that I told the guy to go fuck himself. So, you know, I, I did. Yeah, that's just the way it is. But those jobs, and I don't want to say a lot of them are union jobs, but some of them are, and it's just part of the deal. And it, and people really do feel that that if you don't, if you're going to be some you know clean-living guy and you don't still, you're going to make me look like an asshole, and then I'm going to get fired, and everybody else here is going to be caught and fired because of you, you prick. I mean, basically, that's it, right? Yeah, that's it. No, these guys had a, they were old timers and they already had the scam going. Right. And they're like, if you don't steal, then they're going to see that money is coming in. I remember I went to the Miami Improv one time and they had a bartender from New York and the owner of the club pulled me aside and he goes, you see that bar right there? It's packed all the time. My bar never breaks 1500 That's why I like that guy. <laughs> he goes, and he's opening up a hot dog stand soon, the cocksucker. But that's why I like him. The bar never breaks over fourteen ninety nine. He don't. He fucking kills that bar. Over, wouldn't even bust it. See, know? where I grew up in Montreal, we didn't have to worry. If we wanted to take care of a business, we had Jewish lightning. Yeah, and Jewish lightning. Like, People don't know oh, about Jewish lightning. Jews will you burn don't. a business fucking down. to the. When I was a kid, a Jew taught me how to do it, too. He had a fucking club. You know how you do it the best way he'd get a okay. cage full of rats mice he'd get mice from the pet store and he'd put gasoline on them and light them on fire then open the cage and the rats go into the wall and they scratch the fucking wall so the Jews will burn it down <laughs> to the fucking nubble it'll look like Nazareth when they get okay, to it already I don't believe that story because no Jew is going to do that much work Can and you, touch a rat well that was at the time in the 70s that's what you had to fucking do My, that was the easiest the, way the last, the easiest the last way. Jew that did any physical labor was Jesus yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> we haven't touched a hammer and nails since I went to get Job sushi I went to get Get sushi about a year ago in Santa Monica. This place yeah. was all you could eat. And then we'd go in there and kill them. But you could see it was run by the Yakuza. They always had different owners. There was always an application for a liquor license. New. One day I go in there and everybody's crying. All the Japs are fucking crying. <laughs> like, why the fucking Japs crying? And, you know? and I go up to her. Her name was Helen. Me and Ralphie May would go in and i grab her ass. Helen, give me that fucking ass. And, oh, no. <laughs> so, so I go in and Helen's crying. I go, Helen, what's going on? And she goes, there was fire. I go, it's a fucking sushi joint, you cocksucker. <laughs> then she looked at me like, oh, you got me. I go, listen, I got a number to a good Jew. He'll burn this motherfucker down. <laughs> Japs are good at karate and MMA. You know nothing about lighting fires, all right? So cut this shit. <laughs> so you got a nice Jew. I know a nice Jew that'll burn the fuck oh, out. Oh, fuck it. Listen, I grew up with Jews. These motherfuckers right. walking around now shaloming each other. These cocksuckers, they ain't Jews. No. I grew up in Jersey with Jews that had diamonds in their fucking yarmulkes with a black finger hanging off. Fuck the blood diamond. Yeah, black finger dangling with blood on it. They don't give a fuck. That's a real fucking Jew. These little momos on skateboards today, I'll fucking kill them. I pull over. You're a Jew. Act like it, you cocksucker. There's actually a book uh, called uh, tough Jews. Tough Jews. Tremendous. You yeah. read the book. Fucking oh, great book. Great book. That was after all the shit that went down. So these motherfuckers had to do something. Right. You know, what people don't know, my parents, I was telling uh, Rick that my father came here in the 50s. And what I didn't tell you was my father sold heroin. Your father he came from Cuba. He was a young kid. But the reason why he sold heroin was because the kids that adopted him were Jewish from the Lower East Side. If you look at any of my father's pictures as a kid, he has got a yarmulke on. He was fucking Cuban. That's why I tell people I'm a Cuban Jew. Which explains your new merchandise. My new merchandise. I got a new clothing line <laughs> oh, coming I out. I hear about this. The yarmulke. The first one's going to say, fuck you, pay me. I'm bringing the Jews back. That's a yarmulke you have on. Not some picture or some fucking thing. Fuck you, pay me. And the other one says, stay black. I'm going to have four of them. I already got the, that one. I'm bringing the yarmulke back. Well, you should bring the yarmulke back. That's a good idea. But it's funny. The guys that were selling heroin in those days were the Jews. They needed him to be the mouthpiece mm -hmm. to go into the Cuban areas. Jews don't sell the spicks. So they had my dad going in there. You think I'm fucking kidding you? There's a book called uh, The Pleasant Avenue Connection. It's on iTunes, uh, on uh, eBay. It costs you $300. They have it at the libraries. You can't check it out. You have to read it there. Mm -hmm. Felipe Esparza bought it for me when he won Last Comic Standing. Talks about my father in a subway. Really? All those Jews that were selling heroin. That's what it's about. The Jews really? selling heroin on the street in New York. That you would pull up with your fucking car. They'd take your keys. Another car would pull up with your heroin. You picked up your car next week. They were Jews. They're not going to do nothing with your car. 
You just pick. It was. It's an amazing fucking book. Then the Guineas came. Then the fucking Chinese came with selling that number two heroin. But it was the Jews originally, dog. The Jews ran that shit for fucking years. Well, so. it's because we had the best lawyers. I was oh, sitting around with a couple yeah. of my buddies one time. I go, I got to contact my lawyer. Who's your lawyer? I said, Jewy Kikeman. He goes, you don't, you don't mean Jewy the Heem Kikeman. <laughs> I had a fucking, my father had a, the guy that represented Carmine the Torch Balzano at yeah, that yeah, place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He shot a guy nine times in the back in self-defense of his house and got off. My stepfather would use the same attorney. He was such a Jew, he had to change his name to DeLuca. That's how much of a Jew he was. When you come into his office, he'd give you a piece of paper. Right. I remember being a little boy and going in there with my mother. She didn't speak English. And he'd go, here's your menu. And you look at it, what menu? This is a fucking lawyer's office. Okay. You got busted for, because bookmaking is a felony in New Jersey, but uh-huh. it's a misdemeanor in New York City, right over oh. the bridge. A lot of people don't know that. It's a misdemeanor for a fucking reason, okay? <laughs> but in Jersey, it's a felony, because those idiots are fucking momos. This guy would say to you, okay, here's your menu. They'd print it up before you got there. For 200000 you get off and get probation. For 150000 you get off and get a year probation. 50000 you got to do six months. That's all he would give. There was no conversation. He'd just give you a menu and give say, menu. call me in three days. Let me know what package you want to do. I know everybody. I'll get you wow. off. He got my dad off. They found a, a gun and a guy shot in my stepdad's car. In New York City, if you get caught coming through that tunnel. Could have been an accident. That's two <laughs> years automatically if you get caught oh, with, yeah, a gun. with a gun. It's the Sullivan yeah. Act. Nobody could get you out of that. He got my stepfather out of that. Exactly. That's how bad to the bone. If you look up Sam DeLuca right now, he's representing the Manzo brothers that lit up like a foot. They lit Newark on fire like 10 years ago. Go look it up online right now. I talk about That's a real fucking Jew attorney right there. That's the real fucking deal. None of these mooks Jewy walking the around. Heap Kikeman. Jewy the Heap Kikeman. So, so you're... You're 100% Cuban? 100% Cuban Jew. So do you get to go back uh, to Cuba? No, once I left, I'm gone, bitch. They let me in one time. They won't let me in again. (laughs) If I go back there now, Fidel will keep me, that dirty motherfucker. (laughs) So you understand the Cuban culture. Yes. Uh, Why is it that the, the, the city Cubans hate the country Cubans so much? First of all, let's get out of the way. Cubans are the most racist motherfuckers in the world, okay? And there's two types of Cubans. I never would have got that from our previous discussion. There's two types of Cubans. There's Cubans that, you know, Paul Mooney has a great joke. If you shake yeah. your family tree, a nigga will fall out. Yeah. Okay? You know what I'm saying? Don't be surprised. If, right. And there's two types of Cubans. that one that know they got black blood in them, and there's ones that know, but they make believe. They don't exist. Like if you put mambo music in front of them, they flip out. <laughs> turn it off. Turn it off. You got fucking moolies in your family, cocksucker. Stop fucking around, all right? Oh, he's got uh, yeah, yeah. Cubans are fucking... They call their black neighborhood... You know what they call it in Cuba? The Congo. The Congo. That's his rate. And that's the way it's been since 1950. They've called it the Congo. Really? That's fucking racist. But yeah, the Cubans would... just think... Listen, let's be honest. Christopher Colon... Col- uh, Christopher Colon... Christopher Columbus called it the Pearl of the Or. It's beautiful. Right. And uh, that's why it's so strong with the Jewish. It's fucking... Cubans and Jews are very similar. We're fucking knuckleheads. We're hard-headed motherfuckers. <laughs> you know, in 1682, the Battle of the Boyne, your people, the Irish... When they're they're Irish. Irish. You're not Irish? What no, the fuck? You look Irish. God bless Irish. you. You look a little Irish. But uh, 1682, all those all those Irish went to Cuba because they, there was a war right, in Battle right. of the Boyne. Yeah, and that was the other only Catholic country. Cuba has the first Chinatown. Did you know that? There's I still knew, a Chinatown in Cuba. It was the biggest Chinatown until 1960-something. Then the state started. Was it the Purcell family was the one that, that was the big family that moved right. from Ireland to Cuba. Right. The Purcell family. The Purcells and the I fucking O'Sullivan's. Yeah. I yeah. grew up with O'Sullivan's. They would look like him, and they spoke better Spanish than I did salsa music in their house. <laughs> it's very fucking amazing country, but so well, they call them Wajitos, the country Juanitos. motherfuckers. Wajitos, that's what we call they them. They don't like them at all. At all. It's unbelievable. At all. At all. So what is the Jewish population of Cuba? <clears throat> There's probably nine of them left, and I'm one of them. There's a big yeah. Cuban Jew. Maya Lansky had his home in Cuba. He loved it. You got to read a book called Havana Nocturne. I will read that. For nine bucks. That is the best. That is three different. Oh, I thought it was buying it from you for nine. No, no, no. It's <laughs> you, you can't see where he's Cuban Jewish, though, because he's told you one book was 300 another book is nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Suddenly we're getting a better deal. No, this is this is nine bucks. It's on right. TJ English, bro. He also wrote Sleepers, TJ English. Yeah. And uh, he, he describes the Cuban Revolution from three different perspectives how it went down from Tampa and what was going on. But the most interesting book he's gotten there 
is he's got a, a story in there where Kennedy went to Cuba. You guys know that in 1960 right. as a yeah. senator or a governor. Right. And he walked into the casino and he couldn't focus. He kept looking at women. He kind of did that. He kept looking <laughs> at women. And they sat down for the meeting, him and whatever governor or senator he was with. And Santo Traficante is like, this motherfucker cannot focus. And every time a black Cuban with big tits walked by, fucking Kennedy would start sweating up a fucking storm. So finally he went over and he got Kennedy and he goes, come with me, follow me. He goes, excuse him, I got to show him the side of the palace. He goes, he called his buddy, Santo, and he, they put him in a room where they had a two-way mirror and there was three women waiting for him. Kennedy went in there and started fucking these women like he owned them. Pulling their hair, bit slapping them, kidney punches, coming on their neck. They're watching this fucking dying. Traffic, when you read this, you're going to die. Traficante's dying going, look at this motherfucker. No wonder he can focus. He's an animal. He was ripping their legs off. He, he, didn't give a fuck. he was eating ass. He was high, drinking beer. He didn't give a fuck. And their plan was to tape him next time he came down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So they had something on him. And he never came down. He got killed before that next taping. What's read not? this fucking book. I will read Read this fucking book. Sinatra having an orgy and the nuns came in and busted him. And he had or he had to hide all the women under the couch. Right. There was underwear on the fucking thing. But it describes Fidel. It describes the revolution from Miami, Tampa, New York, and what was going on in Cuba at the right. same time. Who was and, Santos' kid's name? He had a son that was also involved. Right. I forget what his I name I cannot was. remember his name, though. It's a very, very interesting book and how they took over the casinos and the fucking, they lived up in the mountains and just just down and and it's nine bucks. You know, you just reminded me you're talking about that era. Have you ever heard the story about Don Rickles at the Fountain Blue in uh, in, Miami? uh, No. Meyer Lansky walks in. You ever hear this story, Rick? I don't know if I have. Anybody? True story. This is back in the day. So Rickles appearing at the Fountain Blue. He uh, sees a door open. He's in the middle of his act. Well, not the beginning of his act. And he looks up and it's Meyer Lansky. He stops the show and says, uh, do me a favor. Will you, uh, can we just split these two tables right there? On here? Can we split them and put a little table in there for Mr. Lansky? Uh, yeah. Take, okay. So put everybody down. They get they get a table. They get four chairs. They get all set. Uh, do me a favor. Put it on my tab. Get a couple bottles of Dom Perignon for, for Mr. Lansky. Put them on the table and. So they're running around. Everybody's running around like mad because it's Don Rickles telling them what to do about Meyer Lansky. And Meyer Lansky, if not, everybody knows who Meyer Lansky is, don't you? Or oh, like, absolutely. They, everybody knows who Meyer Lansky is, right? I would hope so. I mean, it's... Yeah, he was, he, was a, he was a Jewish... He was a badass Jew. Badass Jew in Miami. Uh, first in New York, then in Miami. So <laughs> so they get up. The table's all set. Everybody's sitting down. They open the champagne. They're pouring the champagne. And Rickles says, okay, Mr. Lansky, I'm going to go on with my act now. So I just, uh, everything okay? You like it? Okay, everything, everything good with you? Tell you what, why don't you make yourself at home? Kill somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you how bad my Lansky was. When Cuba folded in 1959, he had $250 million fucking dollars. In 59. 59. Wow. And That's nobody ever found, money. let me tell you how much of a badass Jew he was. Nobody ever found that dough. He walked around Miami for years with that little fucking little French poodle. Yeah. And they would watch him. They could never find this dough. And he'd eat fucking a bagel and go home. They couldn't figure it out. <laughs> I love that motherfucker. Though. I got a picture of him next to Jesus on my wall. That way. Right next to fucking the Messiah. I, I'm not kidding. I love him. No, I understand. He was, well, he's a hell of a business. Had a hell of a business, but didn't work out too well for Bugsy Siegel. But no, you know, no, no, he kind of Bugsy kind of fucked him over, and that didn't work out too well no, for him. Fucked up. Do you? Uh, it's it's pretty well known in my family that that in my mother's side of the family, uh, half the half the guys are cops, and the other half the guys are criminals. I mean, it's just how it always was, and it, you know, and it literally is true that when we'd have a house party, when the people would come over, the guys. She would tell the cops and the criminals, put your guns in the, in, the, in the cupboard, and I'll lock the cupboard. So everybody took their gun and put them up. Uh, was that the same? Was that like that in your family at all? I mean, were no. you around criminals? I mean, you were around criminals, but not necessarily in your family. No, my mother was a huge numbers bookie. That's how we made our millions of dollars. <laughs> so my mother made a heroin dealer and a bookie. My mother, my mother's specialty was numbers. When my father came from Cuba, he was forced, not forced into the heroin. It's weird. Mm-hmm. It's the family that took him and he came by himself. Right. So they took that money. They took the heroin money. They bought a restaurant and he never dealt heroin again. That was it. It wasn't like he was dealing $10 bags. Right. He right. was moving pounds for these people and he made right. great money. He opened up a restaurant. My mother kept with the numbers, even though my father kept saying, let's go legit. Right. So my mother turned that 
she started out as a little bookie that answers the phone, six oh four, five dollars, five seventeen. She turned that into a bank that was a bank for other banks. So if they had too much action on a number, mm-hmm. they would call in. And I was around those I had to work those banks on Saturday, you know, just go and right. write six oh four and stuff like that. And at the bar we had weird people. But the the guy that was real in my life was my stepdad. That guy was the real deal. The real deal. The real deal. So, there's a, so your real dad was the one from... He from, died when I was three. And he, he, was he died Cuba. of a heart attack. Yeah. He died in Union City of a heart and attack. Your stepfather was, was Cuban. Cuban. He, he was, was Cuban. Oh, he was, he was My real father was Cuban and Jewish. My stepfather was just Cuban. Just Cuban. But he was... Did you see Scarface when Tony, when he takes his hand, he goes, what's that on your hand? Yes. Okay. That's a religion called Abaqua. Mm-hmm. That's not Santeria, nothing. Right. Those right. Are, that's where they came up with the guys that don't eat pussy. Right. On Those the guys don't eat pussy. On the Soprano, they, they think if you eat pussy, yeah. then you'll suck a dick. It's a manhood. <laughs> it's a manhood. If you see a Cuban guy and he's got an arrow on his arm, he's got an arrow with zeros and X's, just turn your back. Don't deal with those people. Because your downfall is they get a straight razor. Their weapon of choice is a straight razor and they slice your asshole. Oh, yeah. They don't fuck around. They're manhood. They're not allowed to be in a room if there's a gay man in the room. They're not allowed to have their head touched by a gay man barber. This is, I grew up with the real, my stepfather was the real, I seen him shoot a guy when I was eight for saying something to him. My father did not drink, did not smoke. He thought if you did drugs or smoked cigarettes, you were weak. My stepfather was the last of the real fucking deals. There was like, the Abaquas, it's a longshoreman thing in Cuba. Yeah. And they work basically off of machismo. It's machismo. But their downfall is they got to cut your ass or they got to shoot you. There's no playing games with these guys. He wasn't like a... And I seen him get from nothing. When he came out of prison, he went from... Because he got arrested for numbers. He built... he him, him and my mother built two different banks. So that was the angle at the house. It was like living with the Crips and the Bloods. Right. They were enemies, but they were really... They were married, but they had two rival bank, bookmaking banks, you know? That's why he left and stuff. And he died a few years ago. And I, uh, was it a few years ago? He died when he was 76. That motherfucker got... He didn't even have a shoulder left when he died. They shot his shoulder off. When you go to his house and he didn't have no T-shirt off, this guy would not die. So, sorry to kind of... I'm just interested. What were the circumstances that led to your stepfather shooting someone with you as an eight-year-old in front of him? <clears throat> we were at 148th at a Santeria party. And some guy was drunk. He hated fucking drunks. Oh, he God. was my godmother's husband. And my dad didn't like him. My dad was reading a book in the hallway, and my mom was inside, and they were talking, and the guy kept talking shit about my stepdad. You ain't shit, you and your four brothers, because they used to call him Four Winds, him and his three brothers. Mm-hmm. When, the, when they opened up Cuba in 79, the three brothers were in prison in Cuba. They got to New York. All three brothers got killed within the first year. Really? Because they were fucking savages. My stepfather stayed out of that stuff. They had beefs from Cuba that they brought... But uh, we were at a party, at a Santeria party, just listening to music, fucking around. And some guy kept talking shit. And my father played deaf. He was one of those guys that played deaf so he didn't have to talk to you. Right. He would read, <laughs> yeah, this mother, I'm telling you. I know. Let's say he had to come here at 11 o'clock. He would have had you come over to the last night and bring a gun and hide it out in the weeds. That's how fucking crazy he was. He always had a gun with him. But since he was always on probation, he couldn't carry it on him. But he'd always have two pieces wherever the fuck he was. He'd have one in the kitchen at the club and at the front, just in case. So we're at this party. We're hanging out, blah, 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 blah. Guy started insulting, and he goes, what's he saying? I was right there with him. He goes, what the fuck's he saying? Nothing. All of a sudden, he just went to the back room, and I see my godmother grabbing him. And he had the forty-five on top. And my, all of a sudden, he just pushed my grand, my godmother. We went outside to 148th, and the guy goes, if you have any balls, shoot me right here in the cock. He just picked up that gun and shot that motherfucker in the leg. Jesus. He grabbed me by the hand. We, we got to my car. Left my mother there. We left my mother there. Left that bitch. We got to go. We just shot somebody. He went up to the guy where the guy was bleeding. He said, you say something, I'll come back and shoot you. We got in the car. He made the U-turn right down the Riverside Drive. He threw the gun in the fucking water. We never discussed it again. Listen to this. In 2006, no. watching The Longest Yard, I got the DVD to bring to his house. And I go to him, uh, remember the time you shot Nico? And this motherfucker looked me straight in the face and he goes, Oh, God. I don't, I don't know, know what, what you're talking, talking about. about. <laughs> I don't, I don't know, know what you're about. talking about. I should mention that Joey Diaz was in the longest yard. I was right yeah. there with him when he shot that guy. Until that day, he was like, ah, I don't know what you're talking about. The, the one he he would guy. not talk by a phone in the 70s. Did you know that? He was the only bookmaker that would only do deals up front. No phones. He would not even talk by a phone. If a phone was hung up, 
You could not talk in that room next to him. He didn't trust the phone. He really? was 20 years. Computers? Fuck you. <laughs> fuck you. The internet? He wouldn't give a fuck how good the deal was at Amazon. He wouldn't fuck. <laughs> was he wouldn't fuck. Yeah, because I love Amazon. Amazon's my I fucking understand. world. Yeah. Now, you are the waters. king. You're the king of Amazon and Twitter. There's no doubt about that. I love that. Amazon. Amazon's it's my great. World. It's great to deliver to your house. You don't have to fucking leave the house. You do the deal with, the, with your podcast with Amazon? Yeah, the one yeah. Beauty and the Beast with Amazon. Yeah, that's that's oh, yeah, Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, you do? It's pretty good. Because you do, you do two different podcasts. Yes. That's a, uh, that's a good, so you do one with Felicia, with which Felicia. is decent. It's it's uh, interview people for second chances. By decent, what do you mean by decent? I don't go off. You know, I can't really go off because if, oh, I, okay. if I go off, I look over. Because sometimes I'm telling the story. We have the thing, and I'll be telling the story, and I look over at Felicia. And Felicia's like this, <laughs> and I'm like. <laughs> Like I can't. She's such a sweetheart of a woman. I can't do that. So she just called. That's who called before. They asked me oh, how my morning was. And Felicia's one of those. How did you end up together then for the podcast? I met Felicia in 1994 when she was a star. When she had just won comic search. Yeah. I was an open micer, and she was one of the few headliners that was very fucking nice to me. I never forgot that. Herbios was a cunt, and she was very nice. <laughs> and uh, I heard that she had gotten married to Becky, and her career was going great. And then she got divorced. And I seen her one night, and I go, I went to a house, and I seen three fucking awards. She won, like, a comedian of the year for that, whoever gives you an award. And I said, this is the girl I got to hang out with. And I had her teach me how to write, you know, like, she's a fucking comic, you know. She's like an old right. school. Right. To the, I mean, she won Star Search and she's fucking X-rated. Yeah. She talks about sucking dick and, you know, she, sucking She used to, used to do the, uh, the wedding gown thing, Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. She, she used to, it was a brilliant idea. She used to perform every night. Oh, no, no, that's not her. Oh, is that I not that, No, no, that's my Roger Paul's wife. Oh, okay, not Becky's wife. All right. Becky, yeah, yeah. But Paul's but, wife is funny. She used to perform in her wedding gown almost every show just because she said, there's no way I'm investing this fucking money to wear it on one goddamn day. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. A portion of the profits of the Tom Bernard podcast goes directly to the Smile Network. Smile Network is a nonprofit organization that provides life-altering reconstructive surgeries and related health care services to impoverished children and young adults in developing countries. The Smile Network, together, we're constructing lives one bright smile and face at a time. And the Tom Bernard podcast giving away $5,000 on October 11th to one of our lucky listeners. We'll give a matching donation to the Smile Network of $5,000. All you have to do to enter is go to our website, TomBernardPodcast.com, click on the banner or the Enter Now button. The contest promotes sharing the podcast through Facebook, Twitter, email, and more, something Joey Diaz knows all about. You know all about that. We'll contact the winner of $5,000 on October 11th, and you'll be interviewed on the show. The 30-day giveaway of the $5,000 at TomBernardPodcast.com. And remember, a matching $5,000 will go to the Smile Network, which will fix about 100 cleft pallets on little kids all around the world. It's an amazing organization. Smile Network is a great place. It really is. So growing up around, so characters had to show up at the house all the time when mom's involved and dad's involved. And, uh, you know, you're watching people get shot and all the rest of it. Uh, you know. No, but it was my stepdad that was the, but I tell you, my mother, when my mother married this cat, I was five and I was in desperate need of a man in the house. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of fucking crazy at that age and, uh. Like, the first year he moved in with us was just to teach me how to be a man. And then after that, it was I got to see what he did behind the fucking curtains. And uh, he had this white dude, because he was in Sing Sing when I met him. Okay. He was in Sing Sing in 69. He got out, and he used to hang out with this big fucking white biker dude with long hair at the time. And uh, it was really surprising for me, because he hated hippies, too. But this guy had to bring something to the table. Mm-hmm. And he was one of those guys, you know, some some some, some guys you see, and they're always they're, they're mechanics, so they're always covered in... The oil or something. Right. For some reason, this guy always had blood on him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, he always had blood on him, this guy. And uh, he would come around because when he first got out of prison, he couldn't, we couldn't go into Jersey. We only could go into New York. His parole wouldn't let him into Jersey. Right. That's how strict they are against bookmaking in Jersey. So he could only hang out in New York. So my mother had a bookie spot in the Bronx, and I would go with him every day and stuff, and I would meet his friends. And one night I got up in the middle of the night when I am like six, and, you know, there's Al bleeding. You know, and like yeah. dad stitching this motherfucker up prison style or whatever the fuck he's doing. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck? And they're like, go to bed, you know. And, and then another night I woke up and he was doing something with Al. I was in my living room naked. There's clothes on the fucking floor. And he's rubbing Al's arms with something, with a candle. And he's lighting their fucking arms on fire. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> so like a week later, Al's there again. And he's like, get up. I'm going to teach you what I'm doing. He goes, I'm taking the gunpowder off their body. Oh, yeah. 
So he would get them naked. When you shoot somebody, you cover with the gunpowder. And at the age of seven, I knew how to burn gunpowder off people's arms. Because when you shoot, you get to get rid of your clothes, but the gunpowder still goes into your neck and stuff. you got to get that off if they do the test on you. So I knew how to do that with the fucking alcohol. I can't remember how to do it now. It was a process. This is how buck wild this guy was. Yeah. But he never did drugs. Never drank alcohol. Probably a good thing. Never did none of that stuff. Didn't stay out late. Nothing. And I watched it. When he died, he was worth $10 million. He still had a car from 1980, guys. <laughs> <laughs> when he went out in the daytime, he was in jeans with a hole in his T-shirt and food stains. So people thought they didn't know. They right. couldn't. You could not. So was it, was it done purposely or was he, he just, Every uh, move of his was strategically. He was. used to always say, what do I give a fuck when people think I got money? Fuck them. He lived. When he died, he died in the fourth floor of a building with no elevator. Oh. And he was 76 years old. So everything he did was to become rich, but then he couldn't spend the money. He just couldn't force himself so to do it. he couldn't force himself to spend the money because everybody was always watching. It's a different generation. It's a I, had a, generation. I had a grandfather, granted Jewish, of course, but would, <laughs> would, would not buy fruits or vegetables out of season because of how inflated he felt the prices were. Well, there you go. I mean, literally. And he died died a million, with millions, you know, and just... Would, would never come to terms with being able to buy a fruit out of season. No vacations, no phone in his house. No. Television, cable, suits. He had everything. I mean, he had rooms full of suits. When he died, you know, he left no will. You know, I didn't want nothing at that time when he died. But his wife said to me, go find whatever you want. Go in the thing there. He left some stuff for you. There was suits. I looked through the boxes. You know what I took from there? A gun with a fucking silencer. <laughs> there was a gun with a silencer on the bottom of the fucking thing this guy had. Took the silencer off, mailed it to myself. <laughs> it's like 30 years they catch you with a fucking silencer. But he also yeah, told oh, me yeah. how to make the silencers with the, with the tape. I mean, this guy knew all that shit. All that stuff he knew. He just knew. I don't know how he knew it. How to get a gun and fucking with the... Another weapon of choice was his was the fucking thing the onion fucking thing so what are those things they shoot at you so you can't see tear gas oh, oh tear yeah. gas he yeah. would tear gas your ass on a fucking for not a he's tear a whim. gas your ass on a whim he'd go close your eyes <laughs> he'd take me with him in a bar let's go I gotta go talk to this guy he'd tear gas a motherfucker and get back in the car there'd be the club would be closing their eyes so and shit did the community know of him was he aware like was he the type of guy if he walked down the sidewalk the people he was over. very fair and he was a very sweet guy, but the other side of that coin, he was a real absolute yin and yang. Yeah, people know who people. he was, and there was a big Cuban community, and they were all bookies. That's the big lottery in Cuba. There's yeah. a big lottery, and it comes out every day at three. So way before the lotto came, if you put $5 on a number, you get 2500 at 5 o'clock. No taxes, no paperwork, no nothing. You know, That's a huge business in the Latin community. They have books of dreams. If you go right, to Harlem, right. you could buy a book of dreams. Oh, I had a dream of a cat fucking a Puerto Rican. <laughs> Boom. What's Puerto Rican? 16. What's cat? 3. 316, 613. People are fanatics about this they shit. Are. It's a big business. But you don't know it because now they got the lotto. So now it's a one-man operation. It used to be my mother would have 10 people in an office. One guy cooking. You know, one guy ironing clothes. Fucking amazing, this shit. It was just, uh, and that's what I really grew up in. You need to know a guy for your auto repairs, legal issues, banking, and more. The same goes for investment advice. You need a guy to help you be successful. Someone you can trust who gets results. Well, I got a guy for you, Josh Arnold. Josh gives you straight talk, not sugar-coated advice about your financial situation. Josh has seen it all when it comes to economic and market conditions, and Josh can make sure that your retirement objectives match your investments. Do yourself a favor and call Josh now for a no-obligation, 48-minute evaluation. You've got nothing to lose, and you'll get a different point of view for your investments. Call Josh at 952-925-5608. That is 952-925-5608. You'll be glad that you did. And tell him his, his guy, Tom, sent you. Investment services offered by Josh Arnold Investment Consultant, LLC, a security investment advisor. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All investments involve risk. All comments and opinions are Josh Arnold's and do not constitute investment advice. Tom Bernard is a paid endorser. Can you cook Cuban food? Not a fucking lick. Oh, it's too bad. Now, what's this Cuban joint here in town? They said it's bad to the bone. Valencia, Victoria's. Which one, a Cuban place? They just they had it on like, Discovery. Club. People have been sending me fucking links. Yeah, they that. asked them to go there this to this afternoon. They did? Yeah. 
You know about Versailles. Victors. Victors. Yep. Oh, Victors nineteen fifty nine. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, that's really good. Victors nineteen fifty nine. Tell me about that. We'll go. Does he look more Irish than I do? Yeah. Look at Irish. <laughs> no. Well no, you're Scandinavian. Yeah. He's Scandinavian. Yeah, this is Scandinavian villa. I'm uh, German I'm German, English and Dutch. Nothing wrong with that. Well, I just, you know it is what it is. It is if he goes all German on the Jew. That's that. <laughs> but we're so far we're good. Yeah, yeah but we'll one of the, one of part of is, is Jewish as well, so I can't say yeah. turn on yourself. But uh, you know, it's funny you're telling your stories. I picture things in my own mind, like when you know, people don't understand that back in the old days, that little kids could hang out in bars, which you can't even bring a kid into a bar. No, I don't, you, can't. you can't bring a kid into a bar at all. And I remember I was four years old, went to this place called Jack Clark's, it's no longer there, you know, sitting around, and they, they had a big, you know, like pool deal there. Everybody there played pool, it was a big deal. And just from hanging around the guys, you learn. It wasn't from my family; it's from hanging around those guys at the bar. I would sit at the bar and have like a you know Pepsi or a Seven Up or something. And this guy says, "Hey, kid, you think I can make this shot?" I said, "How the hell would I know, pal? I'm four years old." And he looked at me like, "You're going to be a real asshole." <laughs> so when you were talking about you know that he didn't do any drugs, didn't drink, do any of that stuff. Uh, I might be part Irish because I am one of those kind of guys. And again, I learned, I suppose, from them, if I have uh, a glass of wine, it'll be, hey, how you doing? And if I have four glasses of wine, it's, what the fuck are you looking at? What the at? fuck are you looking you at? You know yeah. how that goes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, people find that very, very odd, but it's, I think it's learned behavior, you know? that's You watch all these other guys do that bullshit, and it's just, I don't know. It's an, interest, it's an interesting way to grow up, I will tell you that. When did you realize that you weren't... Because most kids think, well, my family's like everybody else's family, right? So when did you realize, no, my family's not like every other family. My my family's, you know... I knew we had a secret. And my mother would always go, what happens in this fucking house stays in this house. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I knew when I was six, my mother did below. I knew everything. I knew everything. I just kept it to myself. Uh, when we lived in New York City, we lived in a nice white neighborhood. We lived on the Upper West Side. You know, we were the yeah. first Spix oh, on yeah. the fucking block, dog. In 1969, <laughs> there was no Spix on the Upper I, West Side. I've never Couple. heard Cuban calls himself a, a Cuban call himself a Spix. Hey, ever. I call myself what people call me behind closed doors. Who the fuck? Are, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Everybody says nigger and Spick and Jew behind closed doors. Only now, oh no, he's African American. Say what you say behind closed doors. Don't yeah. be a fucking hypocrite, motherfucker. <laughs> you know, don't be a fucking hypocrite. He's a Jew. He's a Jew. Don't be a fucking hypocrite all your fucking life. Uh, <laughs> You know, when I moved to Jersey, it was where I found out that my parents were in deep. But when you live in Jersey, the people next to you are in deep. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. everybody knows. When I lived in New York State, we lived in nice... I mean, I lived with the guy from Dark Shadows, lived in my building. Not Barnabas Collins, but the father. Yeah. You know, I lived in one of those buildings. The people from uh, Schultz, the people who... You know, uh, Snoopy. Right. Fucking Snoopy. The He's Chinese people lived in my fucking building that drew for that guy, for Schultz. For Charles Schultz, For yeah. Charles Schultz, you know. The people from Beetle Man. When I moved to North Bergen, New Jersey, that's all fucking Italian-Irish. That's right. on the other side of Hoboken. Right. And I lived down the block from Carmine Balzano. And I wouldn't go out because I went to Catholic school in a different area. So I wouldn't go out in that neighborhood. I would tell my mom, Mom, these kids look fucking real. Yeah. This ain't New York. These kids fucking look like they scrap in here. Right. And the first day, my mom's like, you got to get out and get some fucking air. No more sitting in the fucking house. Get out. But my mother would say, Kalawasa, Kalawasa. Everybody for their fucking casa. You got to get the fuck out. My mother would push me out at nine in the morning, and I was a spick. I had the white shirt on with the white pants, with the white shoes, with the ring, <laughs> the jewelry. These are fucking guineas and Irish kids. And I get around the corner, there's a fight. And I see this Italian kid fighting an Irish family. Everybody knows when you fight somebody Irish, you got to fight the family. Yeah, the eight brothers, family. the sister. The whole fucking family. Yeah. The fat oh, sister yeah. comes down. <laughs> and I walk into this fist fight. I walk into this fucking fist fight. And I'm from New York City. I was low on the rough side. I see the three kids charging the Italian kid. And my first reaction is to jump in. Right. So I fucking jump in. And we break it up. And the kid's father comes and he smacks the Italian kid. And the, the kid looks around. And he sees me. And he goes, I got to call my father. He goes in this other house. He calls. And he goes, wait fucking five minutes. My father's going to come and kick your fucking father's ass. And they wait. All of a sudden, three cop cars pull up. Two, un, two marked and one unmarked. Uh-oh. The, unmarked, the marked car started giving out tickets. The unmarked car came over to us. And he goes, what's going on, Anthony? And he goes, this guy hit me. And he goes, this kid? And he goes, no, this is the only guy that stuck up for me. Guy goes, where does he live? He goes, up the stairs. This cop walked up the stairs. 
<coughs> knocked on the door. When the father opened the door, he pulled him. This is my first day in Jersey. Grabs him, pulls him out, smacks him, handcuffs him to the fucking fence, and starts beating the fuck out of him. The guy's yelling, police brutality. He just fucking, Man, don't you ever hit my fucking son again, you cocksucker. And I'm like, this is my kind of neighborhood. All right. Now we're fucking rocking this shit. So the cop comes down. The guy's laying there. He takes the handcuffs off. He's like, police brutality. I mean, I'm loving this shit. He comes back and he goes, come on, Anthony. He goes, who's this guy? And he goes, this is the new spit kid that moved on the block. And he goes, he stuck up for you. You want to come and eat? So that kid I stuck up for was Carmine Balzano's son. I did it without even thinking. Right. So now I'm at the house that runs the neighborhood. Here I am walking in the house, a Spanish kid. Right. So I'm walking in this fucking house like I own. He's got four brothers. They love me. Well, guess what? The young kid dies in a car accident. And I look like him. So Carmine, you know, takes me into the house. Right. Obviously, he goes, you could ever come here. Even though our son is dead, you're still welcome. You're like, our son. This guy got raided, and they found the gun that Patty Hearst used in the machine. In that picture. <laughs> wow. Carmine Balzano was the real fucking deal. He was a cop, but he was. The, there's a big wrestler right now, came. He went to Minnesota, Steve Mako. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Steve Mako's father. Really? I grew up with the Makos, and they had a guy that used to walk around with a gallon of gasoline just to pour it on you. <laughs> the Makos were fucked. So there's Joe, there's Joe Mako and Steve Mako's father, which I forget what his name is. So there's two brothers. The one brother's a big mayor, developer in Jersey City. You're going to have to deal with him in Jersey City. Yeah, and the brother went away for murder, and he's got Steve Mako's father. Yeah, they all worked for him, and they were cops. But the older Mako was the mayor of the town. So I hung out with the driver for the mayor. I was their kid. So I did whatever the fuck I wanted. Right. He gave me a card that said, with his name on it, that said, if you're a policeman, extend all courtesies, which means you can't do dick to me, which means you got to call that number on that card before you could arrest me. And then they'll smoothen it out in those days. So when his kid died, I became their family. Mm-hmm. And guess what? My mother dies. Oh, yeah, yeah. So they got to take me in. So they took me in. So I was taken in by all these Italians. Like, I lived with them, but I stayed in everybody's house. I was raised by a bunch of fucking Italians, an Irishman, a couple of Jews. I was very fucking lucky, you know? Right, right. The Jew I grew up with, I still talk to him. He went to Brown. <clears throat> I'll never forget sitting at his house, high school, and his father being so Jewish at the Yamakon and going, by the way, when you go to college, you know, you're not allowed to date that Puerto Rican girl no more. And he's like, but dad, I love him. He's like, either you love the her or the fucking will. That's how we do it in our house. <laughs> Lee Argish was his name. He had to dump the Puerto because Jews love that Puerto Rican pussy, dog. They, they throw the yarmulke away. They convert. Once they see that little brown monkey, they go fucking bananas. I believe they use the yarmulke as a diaphragm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> exactly I had Jews, right. my buddies, they love the black chicks and the, and the Puerto Rican chicks. They go fucking bananas. So notwithstanding the awesome stories, and sorry to interject, Tom, but how the fuck? Did you end up in stand up? That was my next question, actually. I'm glad you asked that. I mean, it's because your history is unlike any other comic. I mean, we know a lot of the same guys, but I mean, your history is not one that says, screams, yeah, I'm going to end up doing comedy and acting. You know, I was an only child. So when all this shit was going on, I was in my head, you know, playing fucking games, whatever. And I, uh, when I was about 10, I heard a Richard Pryor on The Niggas Crazy. And oh, I lost yeah. my fucking mind. Dracula Phenomenal. versus the Wino. I'd never yeah, heard yeah, something yeah. like that. I thought that was, you know, and as a kid, you got to remember one thing, guys. Being raised here and coming to this country is two different fucking things. You know, what you guys look at, whatever, when I heard that speak and that freedom in his fucking voice, right. the niggers and the cunts and the fucking, I lost my fucking mind. I, you know, I learned to speak, I learned how to speak English watching Dick Van Dyke. Yeah. So the first time I met Dick Van Dyke, I would have sucked his dick. You understand? He was hey, we did a movie together. And he kept saying, why does this kid keep crying? He asked his son, yeah. why does this guy keep crying? This is five years ago. He said, right. why is this guy crying? And I finally said, you know why I'm crying? Because you taught me how to speak English. When I came from Cuba, I would watch Dick Van Dyke. I wanted to fuck Mary Tyler Moore. Oh, yeah. How bad was that bitch? Oh, yeah. But Dick Van Dyke, you know, so for me, the language is something different. You know, for me, no, like absolutely. being able, being Cuban and being not able to talk and listen to all the stories. And then now being in this country where you could talk. So I wanted to be a stand-up, but I didn't know how to get into it. I just didn't know. You know, and I got locked up in 87 for kidnapping, aggravated robbery. Is that one where you lit, lit the uh, wig, wig on, on fire? fire? No, no, this is when I tied the guy. <laughs> we got to tell the wig on fire story, too. We put too, him in the trunk of the car. Listen, I didn't, get a, I didn't get caught with the kid. My buddy, we went to roll this guy for drugs. He had two kilos of coke. 
And then he started playing games. So I told the guy that I was my partner in the crime started rolling me. It was a three-man crime, so that's a bad no-no. You yeah. always do crimes with two people because right. two people can get against you and testify against you, and I fucked up. I was under the influence of cocaine at the time, and I got caught for kidnapping, but I was out of it. You know how I got caught? The fucking guy put him in the trunk of a car, and he got pulled over for not driving with his headlights on. Oh, Jesus. That's the fucking luck I got, but that was a sign. Okay, well, well, answer this. Why is it always... When somebody's fucking up and committing a crime, they will draw attention to themselves by doing things like not driving with your goddamn headlights. Headlights on, on at night. He was going to drive to the bus station. It. And he got caught and they ratted me out. But you know what? I, I, it took me a long time. I was young and I didn't claim responsibility for anything. Mm-hmm. And the best thing that happened is that motherfucker said four years DOC. I was like, what the fuck is he talking about? His Department of Corrections. Right. But he also said I, wouldn't, uh, I would never be in trouble again. He said that my, my, my chances of recidivism would be low, that this would scare the fuck out of me. And I went to prison, and at the time I was going to the University of Colorado on the CUOP study plan because they didn't have no spics there. So they wanted me to change my name for Jose. If I went in there as Joey Diaz, I got nothing. But if I changed my name to Jose Diaz, they'd do everything but suck my dick. You understand me? So I said, fuck it. I'm Jose Diaz. I got the CUOP. I, got an e- I was going for a history major, so I go to get an attorney. You know, I'm, while I'm doing all this, I'm doing blow. I'm still fucking crazy. I was. I always figured that no matter how crazy you were, you always got to get an education. So I always went to school at night and got six credits. Always. I was always involved <laughs> in something. So when I moved to Colorado, they're like, well, you got to transfer now. You have all these credits. So I transferred into the college, and I was you know, doing well. And I got busted for the kidnapping. It's funny. When I went away, I was in charge of the kitchen. I was a stock clerk because I'm the only guy that had a driver's license. And even then, I was storing quaaludes and steroids for people, and I would charge them rent, vig, you know. And on Thursdays, like I told you, they had movie night. Right. And the guys would say, just for me fucking around, my personality right. would go, go up there and tell stories. So I'd go up there and tell jokes. And one day, some guy's like, here's a notebook to write jokes. And I'm like, I don't write jokes. And he's like, you got to try stand-up. So I figured when I got out, I'd have to do something, you know. I watched Punchline. Yeah. I called the comedy works. Classic Tom Hanks, yeah. I called the comedy works and I went down there and I got on stage and we're here 20 years later. You know, and it's because uh, I still did crimes for the first like 10 years I was doing comedy. But <laughs> you talking about your actual sets or you were doing crime? No, I was doing fucking crime. I was, I was still like hustling and trying to sell blow and, you know, and uh, the comedy won. That's a good, you know. It's the, the comedy one. That's what basically it is. So. Fascinating that the exact same album influenced both of us in a huge way. Tremendous. The one with the cover when he's he's that got the robe on. Yeah, it's he, uh, the, the Exorcist bit on that album oh, is maybe the funniest thing ever on record. It's just brilliant comedy. Brilliant. How different white people and black people are. And as a you know white kid living in a, in a black neighborhood, my neighborhood where where we grew up was uh, black, Jewish, and Italian. Pretty much exactly the same deal, right? When that album came out, then he followed that up with Bicentennial Nigga. Bicentennial Nigga. Oh, my God. He said, this is what I want to do. I want to go out there, and I want to do that. And uh, it's funny. Dan's twin brother is a a stand-up comedian. He's just getting into the business now. So remember way back in the early days, a long, long time ago. So (laughs) we're going to... uh, this contest that Mike, Dan's brother, was in. And I show up, and everything's going really well. And I all of a sudden realize I'm sweating like a son of a bitch for no reason. It's not hot in there. It's not like a, but I'm just sweating like a fucking madman, right? And all of a sudden, I, was, I realized I was sweating for his brother because I remember how that felt. Remember that the first time you actually did go on stage, how, how weird that was? And maybe prison did help you out in the fact that you kind of eased into it. But that first time when you up there, there's an old story up at the Harlem clubs, the Harlem com- comedy clubs, that these young guys would come out for open mic night, and guys would sit in the audience and go, you better be funny, motherfucker. I mean, that's still was- that way performing to a black audience. <laughs> <laughs> it still is, isn't yeah. it? But, yeah, that, that album, I, I will never forget. I, I wore that some bit. These down. motherfuckers don't know when no. you had to put... Bicentennial nigger on and the Beatles over it, just in case your mother walked in the room. <laughs> oh, you could drop fucking the Beatles because he's on there cursing, talking about eating pussy and shooting motherfuckers. So in those days, you had to put, you had a big, and I'm doing like an album, you had to put Bicentennial or yeah. whatever on. 
put it on, and if your mother or your aunt or somebody oh, yeah. in the room, somebody had to stay by the record player to drop the Beatles or whatever, Ted Nugent Stranglehold, <laughs> you were listening to that day, you know? Growing up Catholic, and he's doing that exorcist bit, and I, my mother actually heard from upstairs. She was upstairs, and I was downstairs. When he, he black man walked in the house, he, the whole bit was that if, a black family had been in The Exorcist. It would have been about five Take minutes. Take that cross out of your pussy. Yeah, get, the cross, get the cross out of your pussy. My mother was standing in the doorway when he said that, and I was like, oh, Jesus. Like, well, it's funny. She goes, it's not funny. It's not funny. <laughs> it's not. Actually, it's very, very funny. Nobody remembers the albums. Like, it was just George Carlin and Richard Pryor. That's Absolutely. It. Then Steve Martin came with King Tut. Yeah. King Tut. King Tut, and we all fucking lost our minds. And Oh, yeah. It's just... It's a great thing that you went because I'm assuming a lot of the guys that you grew up with are dead now, or you know some of the guys. See are- this scar, man. This is Richard Pryor live on the Sunset Strip. I got stabbed in Jersey City. Me and my buddies took the number one down. They went to Muggers, and we were all smoking pot, going to see. That's when after he lit himself on fire. Yeah, yeah. When he did that first special, I got stabbed when he, the special came out. So if that's not a sign that I should have been a fucking stand-up, every time I look at this guy, I'm like, yeah. yeah, fucking Richard Pryor, that cocksucker. This is right outside of Kennedy Boulevard in Jersey City. Remember the little, he's hopping the lighter up and down with oh, Richard Pryor. Goes, I heard what you motherfuckers been saying. <laughs> you lost it. We fucking lost it. We did. Ah, it's a wonderful thing. This has been an incredible, you know, it's been an hour. That's great. This thing went by very, very quickly. So uh, we'll tweet about this. Okay, I'll do too. it. You do it. As will we. I got to, honest to God, it's just been Can a, we do another one tomorrow? I think we got to add part two to this. We still gotta, exactly. I'll be here if you want to do another yeah, one I'll tomorrow. Yeah, come over. I'll take a stick in there. We'll get the boys. Joe, are go you ahead. still working on the documentary? The documentary is done. It is done. It's done. When will it be released? It's released. It's oh, on it is. Amazon. Yeah. Okay, great. I went on Twitter. I got $3,100 from the people on Twitter. Right. And I went back to my town, and I taped Carmine Balzano. Mm-hmm. And I taped all the families that took me in. Oh, you did? Fuck yeah. I don't forget Ooh. none of those motherfuckers. Those That's are the, wonderful. You know, this podcast I'm doing, this church of what's happening now, I don't want mm-hmm. no guests. The guests are the kids that I grew up with. Right, the right, exactly. Like, so Monday is Chucky McBreen. He's, he's a coach. So I can't even call and go, hey, Yeah, you Joey, can call me. You. I'll give you my number. <laughs> but I call the, it's funny. I just want to call and go, hey, Joey, fuck you. It's funny because the guy I'm going to have Monday is pissed off. He says that I'm lying about the prison, that I started comedy when I grew up with him. He says that I started comedy oh, oh, I see. on the number one bus going from North Bergen to Jersey well, City. Yeah, you know. We used to get on the bus and there'd be people nodding on heroin and I'd fart. That's how we'd start first. They'd be nodding on heroin. Uh, you're a prop act. And I'd fart first. I'd fart and then wake up the guy on heroin. And then we'd do the odd couple, the opening bit with the da 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 yeah. on November 13th. Addison's wife and right, asked him to right. throw him out. Then we fucking start. We drive the bus driver crazy, and I get in the middle of the bus and just do fucking. Our goal was to chase everybody off the bus. So when us ten gorillas got on after basketball, that was our goal for the rest. Kids that lived uptown used to take the bus home with us and back, just because they'd hear so much about the buses. They wanted the show about the show. So his you argument the first is official New York tour bus. Yeah, his <laughs> argument is that I started stand up on the bus. Yeah, I mean, part of it, don't you think, is that, that you learn early in life that if you could make people laugh, you wouldn't get killed. Yeah, the psychos. I mean, because people in those neighborhoods are psychotic. It's not you can't tell a guy who's not from a neighborhood like that. Well, were you a tough guy? Fuck no, I wasn't a tough guy in my neighborhood because the tough guys in my neighborhood were psychotic. I mean, they're all about, they would kill you. You know, it's not the same, and you can't explain that to people. Making now, somebody laugh is the greatest thing in the world. And so, oh, when you understand the mechanics of what's going on, I remember when when Minneapolis, well, when you, when America was on fire back in nineteen sixty seven, sixty eight, during the riots, there was a big black kid named Ralph Mason, six foot six, big tall black kid, and because I made <coughs> him laugh, nobody would bother me during the riots. You know, because the the whole neighborhood was on fire, but he loved the fact that I could make him laugh, and he protected me from everybody else. He just said, "Leave him alone," and, and that's what comedy did for me. I mean, it, it got me out of that. Yeah, you know, that's exactly it. Sitting there listening to Richard Pryor and and making people laugh, whether it's on the bus or at school or whatever. Uh, being able to make a living doing it, what you're doing now, what I'm doing now, is is. It's like a great honor, don't you think? It's, ama- it's, it's amazing. I I always tell people that it's um, you know that I haven't seen in twenty years. What what do you do? Well, basically, I get paid for what used to get me kicked out of school. Yeah, <laughs> and that's awesome. I mean, really, it is. 
to do something you love and to, you know, to be the class clown and get rewarded for it after every teacher told you you'd never amount to anything? Fuck her. And that happened. <laughs> and that happened, absolutely. Oh, yeah. My high school counselor said, you may as well get a factory job because you're never going to amount to anything. Yeah, I, I, I quit high school that day, never went back. I had an English teacher that told me my creative writing was terrible. <laughs> That's good was, I, writed for TV, I wrote for TV and film, and she, uh, she taught. So That's it. I never published, so I guess who was the better writer? My gu- a guidance counselor said, you'll never amount to anything, and then borrowed an old gold cigarette from me. Like, ask me for a cigarette. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> Whatever. One of my favorite things, so this whole deal, is your enthusiasm for doing it because you don't want to stop. You don't want to stop doing the podcast. You want to sit here and talk like all day because it's making it makes you feel good, doesn't it? I mean, it's kind of like kind of like drinking or doing drugs in a way. You know, I love. Uh, I fired my manager last week on the ride over. Uh, he asked, Rick asked, uh, how's your theatrical career going? I go, it's going as good as it is, but I fired my manager because I'm enjoying this aspect of it. Yeah. I found the niche. Yeah. I don't have to be funny. I just go on and talk. Either you're on or you're off. I find that if you're faking the funk, they're going to go through it. Yeah. So there's no reason to come on here. This ain't fucking radio. This is five guys talking. Right. This is the corner to me. And this is where I fucking shine on the corner. Well, there's no. That's exactly. That's where right. I shine. All my life, I shine on the corner on those basketball courts, and uh, I love it. I love pot. I love talking to people. I love seeing what's going out there. I love, uh, you know, my main thing is I'm 49. Right. And, uh, fuck. I wish I had 10 more. Yeah. And uh, I regret saying that. So when I do these podcasts, I want people to take something out of it so they never have to say something like that. Yeah. Right now, you know, we all remember when we were young and our parents would go, I wish I knew now what I knew then or whatever the fuck. Well, I wish I had 10 years back. I would have really caused some fucking damage in this world. I think it could cause a lot of damage in this world anyway. Anyway. I mean, you're 49 years old. It could have caused some fucking damage. Well, I think think you're just on the the cusp of the whole thing right now. Don't you think so? Your fans love you. That's why I love them, man. I don't, I don't have fans. I don't, I don't even call them. You know, I, when we I were kids, we way. had fans. We put a, book, a poster up of Sean Salisbury, whoever your fucking quarterback <laughs> was. Right, you know, right, right. you put a quarter, uh, a Fran Tarkenton. Now that's not available. I could contact you on Twitter. Right. I could contact the people. So we're not fans no more. We're really friends now. No, you're absolutely I've had right. people answer me back on Twitter. I go, God damn. You know, fucking Chris Cornell just hit me back on fucking Twitter. We're not fans no more. No, it's true. You know, when I go to a comedy show now, I can see people from my Twitter and Facebook page. And I go, oh, fuck. I can put the face with the twits now. <laughs> it's a different time we live in. So no I really question. have no fans. We have a network. We have, you know, you put on Twitter now, I need a fucking, I want to suck an ass. And I want it to have three fucking hairs and a half a hemorrhoid. <laughs> and somebody will tweet you back. I mean, people are friends. I have a hemorrhoid. I had a, somebody send me a picture of an asshole on Twitter yet. Some chick sure sent me an asshole with the top of the monkey. Delicious. In the mo- I mean, it wasn't my type of asshole. It was dark. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you know. <laughs> I like it to be shiny. You know, like, oh, so far. The fascinating thing to me about, about Twitter, Facebook, all the rest of it, is people that follow you that, that don't like you. And I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. That's just it amazing. So you're going to go out of your way to, to be followed on Twitter or, or you know be a friend on Facebook or whatever. So you can take a shot at me, because then when you take a shot at me, I go, why don't you go fuck, fuck yourself? Fuck your mother up the ass. Right. That's what I do. And then I dump you. And then I block you. Right. Why do they do that? <laughs> because I, they're fucking... Me, I eliminate that. Look at my Twitter picture. It's a picture yeah. of my nutsack. Did you see that? It's two fucking balls, and it says where I got my balls from. And it's two fucking nutsacks. And every day people hit me. I hate retweeting you, because I'm sending... Don't follow me. That's why I have that fucking... Day. Ball my phone. Call my phone. Call right phone. You have my number? I'll give it to you. My number tells you. If you're going to leave a message, go fuck your mother. I got a fucking number. It tells you what number. People leaving messages kills me. I want to do business with people that want to do business with me. I don't want right. you coming to the show and going, oh, my God, he was too dirty. So I eliminate all that shit. I don't want motherfucking Christians around me fucking talking about their shit. You know I talk about eating ass and sucking pussy. And What the <laughs> fuck are you following me for, you fucking mobo? I got to ask you a question in, in, in Cuban dialect. Is it maricon? Maricon is faggot. It is my. <laughs> so it's the same. Am I calling you? Yeah, it's, it's ringing. Around. Okay. Do you want me to put it up to the mic? Yeah, sure. Can we hear this? Beautiful motherfucking day to be alive. You reach Joey Diaz as usual. If it's not business, don't leave a message, please. There's lawyers, people like that can leave messages. All of this, I'll see that you call, and I'll get back to you the time is right. Do not even check messages. They're not from one of these people. So don't waste 
a long time, all right? Say <laughs> black, you know, I love you. And if you leave a message, if I'm in a bad mood, I'm going to call you back and motherfucker. You need the aggravation in your life. You just don't need it. And that calmed it down because the YMCA was calling. I'm coaching kids now. I didn't want a parrot calling me going, go fuck yourself. I'm coaching kids now. I got it. I got it. I got it. Uh, that's a, a wonderful. Well, you're, you're giving back. Nothing wrong with that. Buy them on by going to the Amazon.com banner at TomBernardPodcast.com. They don't charge you a penny more. A small portion of what they sell through our site helps support the show. That's what keeps the show free for our listeners. Click and shop today on the Amazon banner at TomBernardPodcast.com. Come. Joey Coco. So where Coco? My father gave me that. Real father gave me that name before he died because my, I'm so white that he called me Coco from the inside of a coconut. So I kept that. <laughs> well, yeah. And when I moved to L.A., I tried to get into SAG as Joey Diaz, but they already had a Joey Diaz, so I had to go Joey Coco Diaz. Wasn't Joey D- Diaz was the bass player for Santana, wasn't he? Right. I think so. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Hey. Look at you. You're a fucking bad motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Joey, we got uh, seriously. We got to do this again. Yes, I, yes, yes. I'll call up whatever you need. I love you, man. I didn't expect to see you. You're a fucking gentleman. You well, have a beautiful you. home, I, beautiful family. The son-in-law, I don't know about you. Know, I got a fucking. <laughs> he hasn't said a goddamn he's word. You should, be, you should be happy. He's whiter than you. Yeah, he's yeah. a good dude. He's a good dude. Come back soon. Anytime, brother. Joey Coco Diaz. Rick Bronson, thank you so much for being uh, it's here. It's great to be here. It's, it's nice to finally uh, sit in and uh, see what's happening on a, a weekly basis. And uh, I, I can see why the comics are all raving and enjoying their time here. Paula, Paula had nothing to, uh, about great things to say. Oh, you ought to see her on my Twitter page now. Jesus Christ. She's, she's on, going nuts. Oh, it's it's hilarious. Yeah. She's a very, very funny she woman. She emailed me yesterday and still refers to you as the fucking hologram. The hologram. Because <laughs> I don't go into the station. No, I do the, as you know, I wasn't there this morning. I, I do it from in the other room. You're a bad motherfucker. <laughs> I think and Joey I love- and Paula have to do a sitcom together. There you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah that'll, <laughs> be a, that'll be a hell of a sitcom. That's an odd couple. Thank you, gentlemen. It was a great, great time. Thanks Thank so much, you, brother. Thank you. Thank you very much. Have we'll a great weekend. Soon. Thanks for listening to the Tom Bernard Podcast. Follow Tom on Twitter at Radio Tom Bernard yep. and visit TomBernardPodcast.com. And thanks for stopping by.